All right. Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right, as everyone is starting to make their way in and get settled, glad that you're with us. If you're a guest, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so great to have you with us. If you are a guest, we would love for you to very simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT. Click on the link that we'll send you. Uh, and fill out a couple of questions for us just so we can know who you are, how we can pray for you, minister to you in the best way possible. So just text connect. But for everyone here, I've got three big announcements for us, all right? Every week we try to give you the big three. We want everyone to know so we don't make it too complicated for you, all right? So big announcement number one, Easter weekend. Easter weekend is the first weekend of April. We've got a great, long, big weekend planned for you. It's going to start Friday night. Good Friday, 7 o'clock, right in here, we're going to have a Good Friday worship night. Come, be a part of that. Our worship team is working very hard. It's going to be an amazing evening. Come and be a part of that Friday night at 7. Saturday at 3, we're going to have a big church-wide picnic here. Come and be a part of that. Uh, text the word EASTER to our number, 910-424-1298. Text EASTER there. That's going to sign you up for dinner. So we know how many to prepare for. That's going to sign your kids up for uh, the Easter egg hunt. And we need eggs, pre-filled eggs. Please bring those and put those um, at, at the doors as you leave the sanctuary. Drop those in there. We need those eggs. That's also going to sign you up for a cornhole tournament. That's going to sign you up to be a volunteer. All of those things. Just text EASTER to 910-424-1298 to sign up for that. Second big announcement, Vacation Bible School. Here we go. Woohoo. We weren't able to do it last year because of COVID, but we are doing it this year. It's going to be the first full week of June. Uh, and what we need from you right now is we need you to text the word, the letters VBS to uh, 910-424-1298 to sign up to volunteer. We need lots of volunteers, okay? Text that. It'll send you a link. Click on that link. Follow the instructions to sign up to be a volunteer for us this year vacation bible school and the last big announcement for everyone is this journey groups journey groups these are our small group ministries here at southview we want every person to be a part of a journey group we believe every person god did not design christianity to be a solo project all right even the lone ranger had tonto you're not meant to do this by yourself god designed christianity to work within a body and the truth is this listen you cannot be known sitting in this room right here. It's not possible. You cannot be known by anyone or you know anyone else or really minister to each other in a significant way. We need to be in smaller groups, and our journey group ministry is how we do them. So we believe, in all seriousness, I believe it is God's will for every person in this room to be part of a journey group, to be a part of a small group of Christians who are going to love each other, pray for each other, minister to one another, and point one another to Jesus. And you can find a journey group through our app, Southview Baptist Church app. You can get that on iTunes or Google Play. Download the app. You can find Journey Group. That's also where you can give online. That's where you can find out all the other announcements. That's where you can get sermon notes and previous worship services and all of that. Southview Baptist app. Download it. Find a Journey Group and everything else uh, going on here at our church there on it. All right. Now, with that, I want to transition just for a minute and let you know something that's going on and how you can be praying, all right? 
so Pastor Steve Aldi, Pastor Steve, speaking of journey groups, he heads up our journey group ministry. He's our adult discipleship pastor. Pastor Steve's been here at Southview for uh, about eight years now. Um, and uh, recently, Pastor Steve, we want to let you know, has been diagnosed with bladder cancer. Um, uh, he has uh, received that diagnosis, walked through a rather extensive testing process, um, and, uh, and we'll be starting treatments here in a couple of weeks. And so uh, for us as a church, kind of let you know where we are with this. We're uh, giving Pastor Steve everything he needs uh, to, uh, to walk through this process. Whatever time he needs for treatments and recovery, we want to give all of that. Um, and if anything new comes up that we need to uh, help with and, and, and address, we'll jump in and do that. We want to do every, whatever we can to, to help uh, as he uh, seeks to still lead ministries in the process of all this and, and help encourage him and walk him through that. Uh, but for you guys, I know the question that we're going to receive is, well, what can we do? What can we do for, for Pastor Steve and Charlie? And, and the answer is this, pray. And that is truly, really the answer. They're well taken care of. Um, he feels good. Uh, all that's great, but just going to walk through this process of treatment. So the big thing you can do for him is pray. And we're going to do that here in just a moment, uh, officially together. Uh, but, but before we do that, I want to kind of lead in another direction also. One of the things we try to do here every week is spend a little time in corporate prayer, praying with and for one another. And as I thought about Pastor Steve and praying for him today, I started thinking, there are actually a lot of people in our church, a lot of people in this room right now, who are walking through some difficult things health-wise. Whether you or someone you know and love are walking through either an illness, uh, some kind of chronic pain, some kind of physical struggle, disability. There's something physically that is hampering you in life. Uh, and we want to use this as an opportunity to, to not just pray for Pastor Steve here in just a moment, but to pray for you. Uh, in fact, I want to ask if you are in here right now and you have something physically going on uh, in your body that you would like prayer for. Can you just, I'm not going to make you come up front or anything weird, but could you just lift your hand up just for a minute? Just, just we just want to see the room, right? All over the room. Excellent, 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 excellent. So let's do this. I'm going to ask Pastor Steve to come up. If you were around anyone that had their hand up, can you just kind of turn and, and pray for them just for a minute? Just maybe you can lay your hands on them uh, in a COVID-friendly way. I don't know how you lay hands on an elbow or something. I don't know. But we want to do that. The Bible tells us to do that, to lay hands on one another and pray for one another. And we want to do that here today. Uh, I'm going to be praying for Pastor Steve. Uh, and, and I want you to be praying for those around you as well. This is one of the, the ministries that God has called us to, is to pray for one another in these situations. Uh, so we want to do that right here, right now. So let's take just a minute, and, uh, and let's do that. Let's take a minute and pray. Um, and, and if you are around someone uh, who, who had their hand up, or maybe you're aware that there's a physical need, right now you just lift them up in prayer. You pray for them. Maybe you know someone that's not here, but they need prayer. Pray for them. All right, let's just take just a minute and let's, let's do this before the Lord. Let's, let's just bow our heads and let's pray. And I want to give you just a minute to do that. God, I thank you for the, the privilege you give us to step into people's situations and struggles and minister to them in prayer. That is a gift that you've given us as a body to do. I thank you for that, God. I pray that we will not take that for granted and we will not forget to do that. 
I thank you, Lord, that I hear all over this room right now prayers being lifted up. I pray, God, that you would embolden us to pray more and more and more for those around us who are in need. pray God right now specifically for Pastor Steve I thank you for him for his for his friendship for his um, commitment to you and to this body I pray God for him Lord that you will bring healing to him I pray God that you would heal him of cancer but I ask you God as you walk him through this even more so God that he would be emboldened in his spirit like he never has I pray God that he would walk in faith like he's never experienced before that he would see you, God, in greater ways than he's ever seen you before, that you would open up the eyes of his heart even more so to see you, Jesus, for who you are. I pray, God, that this season that he's walking through will not be wasted. I pray for all of us, God, the struggles that we're going through. I pray, God, that they're never wasted. We're not just trying to get through this thing to the other side, but we're always seeking what are you wanting to do in and through me. I pray, God, that you would embolden him, strengthen him, You'll be glorified through him as he walks through this. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Everybody. Well, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing and worship together. Let's go ahead and stand. The song we're going to sing is uh, I Raise a Hallelujah. And the idea behind the song is we... We lift our praises to God in the good times and in the bad, in the valleys and on the mountaintops. We raise a hallelujah because we do not praise God because of the circumstance that we're in. We praise God because He is great and glorious and amazing regardless of the circumstance that we are in. So, Lord God, I pray that you would, in this room here today, empower us to raise up a hallelujah. Not because this is the word on the screen that we sing next, but because that is what's in our heart. and It is rising up from a heart that truly loves you and trusts you in everything. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's sing together and let's celebrate. I'll raise a hallelujah the presence of my enemies, I'll raise a hallelujah, louder than the unbelief, i raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody.
our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise if you will, guys, and uh, while you're at it, let's find Acts chapter 4 together, all right? 
Acts 4. We're going to jump in today and starting in verse 32 of Acts 4 as we work our way through the book of Acts together. And I want to go ahead and tell you this now. Um, I'm nothing if I'm not honest, all right? Um, Today we have a difficult text to work with. It's a difficult passage. Uh, And it's not difficult because it's hard to understand. Actually, what happens here is going to be pretty easy and straightforward to understand. What's going to make today's passage difficult is what it means for us today. All right, so uh, let's jump in together. Acts chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 32, okay? Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, so let's stop here and kind of get an idea of what's going on. So if you've been with us or haven't the last few weeks, let me give you a, a, a quick up, uh, uh, update. Peter and John um, are on the way to the temple one day to see a man who is lame. They, in Jesus' name, heal him. Uh, he jumps up, starts walking around, uh, Leaping and praising God, that draws a crowd. They use that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Thousands get saved, but the religious leaders don't like that very much. So they arrest Peter and John, bring them in, um, threaten that if you keep doing this, we're going to do even worse things to you. And they said, it's a hard pass for us, we're going to keep doing it. So they went and gathered with the rest of the body. They prayed together. The Spirit of God filled them. They were filled with boldness. They kept preaching the gospel with even greater authority and power. And thousands more were coming to faith in him. All right, And that's when we pick it up there in verse 32. This body is coming together. And they are experiencing amazing generosity, amazing grace, amazing community. It is unbelievable. If anyone has a need, someone else is selling off some property to take that money and give it to their need. And they throw out one man in particular, a man named Barnabas, who is a phenomenal guy. We're going to see him several times throughout the book of Acts. Here he's selling off property and giving it to the church for people in need. We're going to see him in Acts chapter 9 being the first one to step out and care for a murderer turned Christian named Saul. When everyone else said, nope, we're scared of him, Barnabas said, well, I'll go. We're going to see him also being the first one to pastor and care for Gentile Christians. We're going to see him in Acts chapter 13 freely live his life behind and go to the ends of the known earth to share the gospel and plant churches. Barnabas is an amazing guy. And so you can read through the end of chapter 4 and think, this church is um, unbelievable. Right? They're perfect. I mean, they're always loving one another, they're caring for one another, they're bold in their proclamation. This is the most perfect group of people you can imagine. And then there's chapter 5. Verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property 
And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. That word in verse 2 where it says that he kept back, it's actually uh, in the Greek means in a misappropriation of funds. Uh, Ananias is cooking the books. He's skimming off the top. He's, the point is, he is saying, right, it's sort of like he said, hey, I sold this land for $1,000. And instead of going, hey, I sold this land for $1,000 and here's $1,000. Or I sold this land for $1,000 and my wife and I are going to give half of it. He sold the land for $1,000, claimed that he only sold it for five, gave the 500 and kept the other five. You tracking with that? So here's what happened. Verse 3. God uh, reveals this supernaturally to Peter. So, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? Uh, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So look what he's saying there. He's saying, number one, he's like, look, Peter. I mean, I mean uh, Peter's saying to Ananias, look, Look, that land was yours before you sold it. You could have done anything with it. Even after you sold it and you had the money, you could have done anything with that. The point wasn't that Ananias had to give that money. He had to sell the land. He had to give the whole thing, and he didn't do it, so that's what got him in trouble. No, the issue was Ananias lied. It says here that Satan filled his heart. Satan is tempting him, drawing him in, but Ananias isn't off the hook. It says also there in verse 4 that Ananias contrived this in his own heart. This is what he decided to do. And it says that he wasn't lying to Peter. He was ultimately lying to God. And we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. You think. <clears throat> the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. I love this. They, they got the young men to do it. So you may ask yourself, why do the interns always get the bad jobs? It's biblical right here, all right? It's, from, it's straight out of Acts 5, right? The young men, what are you going to do? Go, get him. You got it. Uh, I find it interesting as well. Um, anyone who wants to say God doesn't judge, if God doesn't judge, then he seriously owes Ananias an apology. Right? Anyone who says God doesn't judge, one of two things is happening here. A, they have never read a Bible. Or B, they have sin in their own heart that they desperately do not want God to judge. And so instead of me changing so that I agree with God, I try to change God so that he now agrees with me. And I hear this all the time. Oh, no, 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 that's old, that's antiquated. Pastor, I watched a TikTok video, all right? And it said, actually, the Bible has been changed a lot over the years. So, I mean, who's really to say what sin is, right? Well, God does actually say. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Moral of that story, don't be late to church. Verse 8. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Oh, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. 
And he carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And again, verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So again, what's happening here is actually pretty easy. Ananias and Sapphira <clears throat> sold land, lied about what they sold it for so they can keep some of the money back, gave the rest so that they can appear good to their Christian friends, so they're able to keep money, so that they're able to improve their standing with the world, and look good in front of their Christian friends. Ananias and Sapphira were trying to play both sides of the fence. They were trying to be in the world and look like good Christians at the same time. And God killed them. God killed them. God did not kill Ananias and Sapphira because they, they sinned. God killed Ananias and Sapphira because Ananias and Sapphira tried to appear to everyone that they were this, when in their hearts they really knew they were this. And this, brothers and sisters, is where the rubber is going to meet the road for us today. So here's our first big idea. Hidden sin is destructive and deadly. Hidden sin is destructive and deadly. Again, Ananias and Sapphira were not killed because they kept money back. Ananias and Sapphira were killed because they lied about it and tried to cover it up. You know, what often happens, the same is, is happening here. What you see in the Bible is there's an Old Testament story and a New Testament story that are kind of running parallel with one another. And God does that on purpose because he doesn't want you to think that God was one way in the Old Testament and he's somewhere else in the New, right? God, yes, God was judging and, and, and angry and all that in the Old Testament, but he's much better now. In the New Testament, he's loving and gracious and kind. Like he's like someone that finally got his meds figured out. He used to be that, but now he's more this. And the Bible seeks to constantly tell you, no, 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 God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what it does is, oftentimes we'll take a, an Old Testament story and parallel it to a very similar New Testament story to show you God has not changed. And so the story here in Acts 5 parallels to a story in Joshua chapter 7, the sin of a man named Achan. So God is giving the promised land to Israel. They cross over the Jordan to go into the promised land. And the very first city they come to is Jericho. Jericho is the largest, most well-fortified city in the land. It is at the front gate of, this, of, of Canaan for a reason. Because they assume you can't get past Jericho. If you, you, in order to get the rest of Canaan, you got to beat Jericho, and no one's going to beat Jericho. And so Israel comes in, if you know the story, God gives Israel the most ridiculous military strategy in the history of warfare. Walk around a wall a few times and blow a horn. And they did. And the walls come tumbling down. Right? They defeat Jericho. So after they defeat Jericho, the next city in line is a little tiny hole-in-the-wall dump called Ai. Right? It is nothing. So Joshua looks at it and says, Ai's got to be nothing. We'll send up the B team, let JV get a few reps. Right? This is super easy. So, they send 
the army up to Ai, and Ai just destroys Israel. Like, it's not even close. It is embarrassing. This is the equivalent of you raise up an army, and you're going to start taking over stuff. And so you start with Fort Bragg. Right? And so you march on Fort Bragg, and your strategy is walk around Bragg a few times, blow a horn, and when you do it, everybody gets freaked out in the 80 seconds like, here's my gun, you win. So you're so pumped about your victory, you're like, what's next? And the next town you come to is Stedman. Right? You're like, oh, we got this. So you roll up on Stedman, and a couple of rednecks and squat trucks kick your teeth in. Right? You're going to walk away from that and think, what just happened? That's exactly what Joshua's thinking. What happened? So Joshua goes to God and says, God, how could we be Jericho and not AI? What's happening here? And God tells him, the reason you could not be AI is because there is sin hidden in your camp. And through a series of events, it eventually gets shown that a man named Achan... When they went into Jericho, God said, These things are devoted to me. Do not take any of them for yourself. Give them to me. But Achan saw something that was so nice. It's just one thing. And no one knows and no one cares. It's not a big deal and no one's going to get hurt. So Achan takes it and he buries it under his tent. But Achan failed to remember. God sees. And sin really does hurt people. Israel lost the battle, and Achan himself and his family all died because of his sin. In the story of Achan and Joshua 7, the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, is supposed to cause all of us to come to a point where we have to ask ourselves a very simple question. Listen to me, here's the question. What is hidden under your tent? What are you hide it. The thing that no one knows, and it's not a big deal, and my gosh, have you, see, have you flipped through Instagram and see what everybody else does? It's not a big deal. It's all right. God says, no. No, it's not all right. What's hidden under your tent? The truth is, the sins of Ananias and Sapphira aren't too far away from what we do. Every time you walk in this room and you flash a fake smile and you pretend like you're nice to people, but in your heart you still have forgiveness, unforgiveness and bitterness towards them, you are Ananias and Sapphira. Every time you come in here and say you're a person of the word, but you leave here and never crack a Bible open or never spend a second in prayer, you are Ananias and Sapphira. Every time you come in here, and say Jesus is the only way to salvation, and apart from him, you experience eternity in hell, but then you leave here and never actually tell anyone about that, you are Ananias and Sapphira. We come in here proclaiming to believe and say and do these things, but in actuality, in our hearts, we're really this. It's not that far from us at all, actually. The truth is, brothers and sisters, it is, it is much too easy and much too appealing for us to just look spiritual rather than actually live spiritually. And so often we, we've learned the language 
we've learned the actions, we've learned the things that we need to say and, can, and, and, and profess publicly, we've learned those things, and so we say those things and do those things. Actually, sitting in this room right now is the perfect place for you to hide from God. Because you can sit in this room, completely tune everything out for an hour, and then if anyone tries to engage you about the Lord, you can say, no, 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 I go to church. You're professing to be this, but honestly, in your heart, you're really this. This is the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. So let's do this. Let's, let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. What in the world leads us to do this? For the record, there is no biblical evidence to support the fact that Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians. In, it, it, the Bible doesn't say that they weren't Christians. It doesn't say that they were, you know, tares among the wheat. It doesn't say that, you know, they were, you know, plants from the devil. They, they seem to be genuine believers in Christ. So what led them to hide this sin and think that they could lie to God about it? I think a couple of things. Let's just kind of think through it. One is this. Ananias and Sapphira did this, and we do this when we treasure things more than we treasure Christ. Anytime we treasure something more than God, you hold on to what you treasure. You hold on and keep and hide and keep safe what you value. And if you value, if you treasure, if you love, if you adore something more than God, you would do everything within your power to bury that underneath your tent and lie and say, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not there. Because you love it so much, you treasure it. Ananias and Sapphira treasured the things of this world and they treasured the praise of their Christian brothers and sisters. And so they did everything they could to try to get those two things. Let's think about treasure and value just for a second. So this is a $20 bill. So what makes this piece of paper worth $20? Right? It, it, it's not the the paper, right, it's not $20 worth of paper that it's printed on. And it's not the ink, it's not $20 worth of ink on this. In fact, if you add up the value of just the paper and the ink, I mean, I don't even know if it comes to a penny. So, so why is this piece of paper worth, valued at $20? Well, it's because our government has deemed it so. They have chosen what the value of this piece of paper. This piece of paper is nothing, literally nothing. The only thing that makes it valuable is because someone has said, no, 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 that's how much this costs. So, now that this piece of paper is worth $20, now how many of these things I can stack up and keep for myself determines a lot in my life. How many of these pieces of paper a company gives you determines whether or not you accept that job. How many of these you can stack up determines what house you buy, what car you buy, what neighborhood you live in. Heaven help you. How many of these things you stack up might even determine who your friends are. And because this has been given value, we, it now our life is geared around getting as many of these as possible. And the same is true for anything else in your life. 
It's not that those things are intrinsically valuable, but you've placed an amount on them. You've placed value on that, and so now you just seek after getting it as much as possible. You have decided in your heart that being accepted by people is something worth treasuring. So you change your life and manipulate your standards and whop your character so that you can be accepted by people because that's what you value. You value pleasure. So you spend hours in front of screens getting as much entertainment as possible because you value the, the pleasure. You value happiness, so you use food and sex to try to make you happy for a little bit. You value comfort, so you use drugs and alcohol to try to numb the pain and feel comfortable again. It's about what you value. It's about what you treasure. And an ice and sapphire treasured something other than God. So they were willing to pursue. You pursue what you treasure. It's not complicated. Look at your life. What you do, how you spend your money, who your friends are, what temptations you say no to, what temptations you say yes to. It's all built around what you truly in your heart treasure. What do you treasure? The second thing that I think we consider is not just what you treasure But who or what do you fear? We seek to hide sin, live in sin and hide that sin when we fear someone or something more than we fear God. Fear is a massive part of Acts chapter 5. You see twice after Ananias and Sapphira are killed, twice, once in verse 5 and once again in verse 11. right? Five after Ananias and then 11 after Sapphira. Twice it said that great fear fell on everyone. That word great is actually, in the, in the Greek, it's megas. It's where we get our word mega. Mega fear fell on everyone. Anyone who says, God doesn't want you to be afraid of him, then why does he keep telling you to do it? The fear of God is important. And so let's chat just about fear just for a second. So, Fear, what does that look like for a Christian? So it's not fear in the sense that, oh no, God's going to strike me with a lightning bolt and I'm going to die, he's going to kill me, I'm, and he's going to ananize and sapphire me, pow. The point isn't that. Jesus through the cross has absorbed all of God's wrath. He's not going to kill you. and not going to experience his wrath like in hell. But there is something still in the fear of God that is there. Even though the fear of death has been removed, there is a fear and awe, a reverence and overwhelming of the glory and power and majesty and beauty and awesomeness of God that drives you to him. So when I was a teenager, my uh, cousin, uh, my aunt and uncle, uh, owned a house at the beach. And so my cousin and I had a plan. We spent all school year working jobs, saving up our money, and then that summer we went and lived at their beach house for the summer, right? It was awesome. We loved it. Uh, Learned a lot of stuff I had to unlearn later in life, but it was great. So the house was right on a little canal. We had a john boat. 
And we'd get in that giant boat, we'd go out in the canal, and we'd go out in the, uh, in, in like the, the, the waterway, and we'd fish. And so one day, we were, we were feeling good about ourselves, right? And so we said, you know, let's see how far out we can take this thing. Let's get some big fish. Let's do that. That'd be fun, right? So anytime a teenage boy says, I have a good idea, tie him to something, all right? Just tie him down. Something bad's about to happen. So we're like, well, we got a great idea. Let's do it. So we're out there. And as we're out, I mean, we're, we're out. And this storm comes out of nowhere. And it is huge. The wind, the waves, I mean, this boat is going like this and like this. And like this and like this. The wind, I mean, the rain is so crazy. The waves are so big. This little John boat is filling up with water. So my cousin's driving this little motor in the back. I've got our two paper cups from McDonald's from lunch. And I'm using the cups to bail out water. And in the middle of this, I remember thinking so vivid. Like, my parents are so disappointed that I'm going to die for something so stupid. I was genuinely afraid I was going to die that day. That's it. It's over. It's done. We're, it's a headline. Two teenage boys die from stupidity. Like, that's it. That's the headline. Here we go. So we fight the storm, we fight the storm, we fight the storm, we make it back into the waterway, it gets calmer, we make it back into our little canal, calmer, we're able to get to the dock, we dock the boat, we get off, we run inside, lightning, thunder popping crazy all around us. We manage to get inside and shut the door behind us. And for about the next hour, we just stare out the window at this thing, amazed that we went through that and survived, and just in awe of how huge and amazing and powerful and crazy this thing was. And this is the fear of God in the life of a believer. So now in that storm, the fear of death had been removed. I wasn't afraid I was going to die anymore. But the storm was still so huge and amazing, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And the fear of God... The fear of death has been removed through the cross of Jesus Christ. But you still understand that he is so glorious and so amazing and so powerful and so awesome. You can't take your eyes off of him. And here's why this matters. Because if the fear of God gets removed from your life, the fear of something else will take its place and will drive you. You will be driven by the fear of something. If it's not the fear of God, it will be the fear of something else. You work 75 hours a week because you're afraid of being a bum like your old man was. You lug your kid around to every travel ball tournament in the southeast because you're afraid they're going to say that you're not a good parent. I can't count the amount of people who have sat in my office and said they're going to divorce their spouse because they're afraid they're never going to be happy in their marriage again. Do you hear it? The fear of God has been replaced with the fear of unhappiness. You will be afraid of something, and that fear will drive you. If it's not the fear of God, it will be the fear of something else, and that will lead you down the road of Ananias and Sapphira. Everything in your life, it's actually pretty cool. Everything in your life can be understood by asking two questions. What do I treasure the most, and what do I fear the most? Everything in your life. Why do I do this? What do you treasure and what do you fear? Everything in your life will be driven by those two questions. And if the answer is not, I treasure God and fear Him above all else, something else will fill in those blanks, and it will lead you down the road of Ananias and Sapphira. Why can't 
I give up this sin. Why do I keep giving in to this sexual sin over and over and over and over and over? It's actually not complicated because you treasure that pleasure more than you treasure Jesus and you fear missing out on that pleasure more than you fear missing out on the pleasure of God. It's actually not complicated, which is good because I'm dumb. I need it uncomplicated. So for you, listen to me. If today you realize, oh my goodness, like I, I am Ananias and Sapphira. This is me. I am treasuring something more than I'm treasuring Christ. I am fearing something more than I'm fearing God and God alone. And it is walking me down a very, very bad road. You say, what do I do? Here's what you do. I do not have a simple three-step process for you. Here's what I suggest. If today you realize that you are not living, treasuring and fearing God and God alone, you realize that the Spirit of God has shown you this. It is welled up inside of you, and you realize, oh, God, help me. Here's what you do today. Run to God. Right today, run to Him. Run to Him and confess. Confess, I am treasuring things more than you. I am fearing things more than you. Forgive me. Confess, plead with him today to open up the eyes of your heart to see how he is worthy above all treasure. And he is worthy to be feared above all else. Ask him to show you even more so who he is. Commit to spend time in his word so that he can show you day in and day out how treasure worthy and fear worthy he really is. My goodness, get involved with a group of people. We call them journey groups here that can just love you and encourage you and look at you and say, what are you treasuring and what are you fearing? You need people around you. I need people around me. Every time that I treasured and feared something more than God and it really led me down a path, nine times out of ten, if I look around, it was a season in my life where I wasn't allowing anyone else close enough to point anything out to me. I was just going my own way. I was Ananias and Sapphira, saying I was this, but in actuality I was this. So what do we do? What now? How do we deal with this? How do we handle this? And that's where we pick it up in verse 12. What happens as a result of all of this? Verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hand of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. What you see is this. Here's the big idea. Repentance unlocks the power of God. The fact that two people got killed during the offering, did that shut the church down? No. They couldn't fit everybody the next week. Why? Because the point of the gospel is not... God's okay with everything. The point of the gospel is, no, no, 
God is really, really, really not okay with everything. And isn't it so great that Jesus Christ died to save you from that? You're seeing what happens here. Some people dared not even associate with them. They ran away. But others said, I need Jesus to save me. The point of Acts 5 is not God sees your sin, so stay away from him. The point of Acts 5 is God sees your sin, so my goodness, run to him. You're not hiding. He already sees. The point of Acts 5 is he's the only safe place you can go. Everywhere else is going to fail you. Run to him. Jesus Christ desires to set you free. The gospel is for the addicted. It is for the broken. It is for the busted up. It is for the hypocrite. It is for the fake. The gospel is for the one who says they're this, but they're really this. This is who the gospel is for. Don't say, no, 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 you don't know who I am. This isn't for me. No, no, no. It is for you. You're the one. You're the one. The gospel is for the angry and violent man. The gospel is for the bitter and unforgiving woman. The gospel is for you. The question is, today, will you dig up what's underneath your tent, expose it and confess it to God, and let Him make you new? I'm going to get our band to come up, and I want to read one more scripture to you. So it's, it's Psalm 32, and it's, it comes from the story of King David. You remember David in the Old Testament? So you got David. The story is that it was time to go off to war, so his army went out, but he stayed behind. No one really knows why. And one day while he's home, he sees a woman named Bathsheba. He is drawn to her calls her to his room, uh, sleeps with Bathsheba, and she becomes pregnant. And now David is thinking, ro ro oh, we got to do something about this. So does David stand up and say, I've sinned before God, forgive me? Nope. He tries to cover it up. All right, so what does he do? Uh, Bathsheba's husband's a man named Uriah. He's one of uh, David's soldiers out fighting. So he, he calls Uriah back home just to kind of get a report of what's going on. So Uriah comes back and he gives the report and David said, man, that's great. I'll tell you what, you are one of my most valued soldiers. I just appreciate you so much. I'm going to tell you what, man. Go home to your wife tonight. You can head back to the line tomorrow. Uriah leaves, but he doesn't go home. He sleeps outside. The next morning, David's like, what's up with that? Uriah says, my men are sleeping out in the field. I can't, I can't go lay in a bed with my wife. I can't do that. So David says, oh, okay. Hey, 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 stick around one more night. Just one more night. So he brings Uriah in, and he gets Uriah drunk, right? So he gets him drunk, spins him around, and pushes him towards his house. Right? He figures nature's going to take its course. There we go. Husband and wife together, Bathsheba's pregnant, has to be Uriah's, right? Problem solved. Well, the problem is a drunk Uriah has more um, character than a sober David. So Uriah sleeps outside again. David says, oh, what am I going to do? 
So he takes a piece of paper and he writes orders. Orders that Uriah will be placed on the front line. And that when the enemy army approaches, everyone else runs away from Uriah and leaves Uriah there on the front line by himself to fight hundreds. And he'll die. So David folds that paper up and puts his seal on it and hands it to Uriah. Says, go give this to the commander. And David walks out the door of the palace carrying his own death certificate and he has no idea. So this is exactly what happens. He gives it to the commander. The commander obeys orders. Everybody leaves. Uriah is killed. So David now, good King David, stands up and says, one of our fallen men, one of our greatest men has died in battle for our nation. His wife, his widow is here. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Bathsheba into my home, and I'm going to marry her, and I'm going to take care of her because we take care of our family. So he brings Bathsheba in, making her his wife. They consummate the marriage. And then, oh, Bathsheba's pregnant. It's amazing. Oh, it's just God's grace on Bathsheba. I bet they're going to even name the baby Uriah. David thinks he's hidden. David thinks he's got it all covered. No one's ever going to know. But God knows. Prophet Nathan comes, confronts David on his sin. And then David begins his process of wrestling with exposing his sin and confessing it. And that's where we get Psalm 32. I just want to read this to you. This is considered one of the Davidic repentance psalms. Just listen to how David talks about his sin. And see if you can catch up some key words about hiding sin and exposing sin and what happens and how David walked through that process. Uh, Psalm 32 verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered by God. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Not trying to hide anything. David says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David is saying, when I was trying to hide my sin, it was as if the whole weight of God was falling on me. I just couldn't carry it. But, verse 5, when I acknowledged my sin and I did not cover my iniquity anymore, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And then verse 7, listen to this. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me. With shouts of deliverance. Here's what David is saying in Psalm 32. We got two options. You can try to unsuccessfully cover your own sin. One day it's going to get exposed. 
but you can try in vain to try to cover it and cover it and cover it. Or you can confess your sin. You can acknowledge your sin. You can bear open your sin. You can present to God your sin and let Him forgive you and cover you with His grace. Something's going to be covered. It is either you unsuccessfully trying to cover your sin or God perfectly covering you in His grace. The decision is yours. Which one are you going to choose? All sin that you try to cover will one day be exposed. But all sin that you today expose to God he will eternally cover up. Which one are you going to choose? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. So, for those of you here today that are not Christians, People don't go to hell because they sin as much as they go to hell because they try to cover up their sin and handle it themselves. I can fix it. I can be a better person. It's not that bad. That person's worse than me. They're trying to manipulate their sin in their own way. That's who goes to hell. But Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again so that you don't have to try to do that. You don't have to try to cover up your sin, manipulate your life, try to make yourself a better person. You don't have to do that. You don't have to live that way. Today, Jesus Christ says, expose your sin to me. Confess it to me. Be honest about where you really are in life. And Jesus says that he will cleanse you, forgive you, and make you new. And for those of you here today who are followers of Jesus, again, I, I have no reason to believe that Ananias and Sapphira weren't also. Where are you? The fact that there is sin in this room that needs to be exposed is not open for debate or discussion. The fact that there are things inside of every heart in this room is not up for debate or discussion. In some way, every person in this room is tempted, swayed to treasure something more than you treasure Jesus, fear something more than you fear God. Every person here. So the question is, are you going to keep trying to cover that up today or are you finally going to expose it and say, here I am. I beg you, don't leave this room trying to cover it up again. Come on. We're all in the same place. Confess it. Come to Christ. And let God cover you perfectly. Lord God, I ask today that's exactly what you'll do. That you would right now move in every heart here. That God, we're going to be honest about where we are, about our sin. I pray God for... God, from the youngest to the oldest, from those that this is the first time they're really hearing the gospel to those that have heard it many, many, many times, I pray, God, that you would show us today that you are the only safe place 
we can come to you with our sin, confess, repent, and let you take that sin, cover it with your perfect grace, and empower us to live for your glory. Do this in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand everyone together. We're going to sing. This altar is, of course, open. You can come down here and pray. You can pray where you are. You can grab someone to pray with you. But let today the truth of who God is draw you to him. Confess, be honest. Let the grace of God cover you and make you new. Let's sing.
thank you that there's room at the cross. And every one of us can come being honest and open, confessing, repenting. I pray, Lord, for every one of us, that's exactly what we'll see today, that we can run to you because you're the only safe place to go. We run to you and you cover us with your grace, with your love, with your mercy, with your compassion. I pray, God, that we would dig up what is buried underneath our tents, that we would freely confess that to you and we would trust you to forgive us and cover us. Empower us, Lord, to walk in the fullness of the life that you have for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.